This is the MPPD Podcast, Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Welcome to the MPPD Podcast. I'm Officer Bill Martin. With me are my co-hosts, Lieutenant Chip Gooch, Inspector Don Calabrese. Today, our guests are Victims Advocate Ruth Toko and our Embedded Mental Health Clinician, Lindsay Schwenk. Today, we will be talking about domestic violence. October is Domestic Violence Month, and this is probably one of the most common calls that police officers respond to. And domestic calls are inherently random. You really, there's absolutely no way of knowing what you're going to come across when you get dispatch to a, a domestic call. Right, and they're extremely dangerous for law enforcement officers everywhere across the country. I know we're going to get into the numbers on South Carolina and how dangerous South Carolina is, but it's dangerous for law enforcement because, like you said, you're getting called, a family member's calling on another, and once they see that person start to get arrested or start to see something go wrong that way, the person who called will then turn, and they don't want them to leave, so then they're another problem. Had a, I've had a call where I've gone to where that same thing happened. I think we all have. Right. And it happens more than you think that someone's being violent towards a family member. You go to arrest them, and then the person who called is now attacking you because they don't want that family member to leave for whatever reason. Right. They just wanted the violence to stop, but they didn't think you were going to take them away. So that's why, as law enforcement officers, your heads are always on a swivel because you never know who you're watching for. Who's, right. Who's going to be your back. And because of the the statistic danger of, of these calls. We as our department have policies in place that whenever there's a domestic and we're dispatched, two officers have to respond. And that's not just for officer safety, that's also so that both parties can be separated and interviewed separately. That's standard operating procedures for us for us when we arrive is you want to get the 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 domestic partners to separate. You need to hear what they each have to say separate from one another so they can't even have eye contact with each other to give a potential look to one another to influence that person. Right. You're looking for that clear picture as to what happened without whether it even be just a look or or they're intimidating the other person. Correct. You're right. You know, worried about whether they're in cahoots trying to get out of it or someone who is just that much more violent or controlling of a person in the relationship that they're just going to give them a look and know that if you say something against what I think, it's going to come back on it later. It's not only the, the danger, I think the challenging part of it is that you're, you're in someone's home, their, their house is their castle. So it's been my experience that although it's the first time I've been at a house where law enforcement has been there, there's probably more of a backstory of days, weeks, years of problems. And then it takes a lot for a person to call or a neighbor call. So we're interjecting police officers into a situation that may be going on for 10 years and we only know about or it for 10 minutes. Right? right. So I think that's that's challenging and uh, something that we have not do. I think you hit that on the head. You come into somebody's house and you're not ordering them, go stand here, go do this, tell me this. That's that's. That's a big thing. That's a big step. It's not taken lightly. You realize that you're coming and taking over a situation where they're not used to having that happen. So that can inflame the situation even more. And so 
quite often with domestics, alcohol is related. So if you, if you have uh, an emotional situation going on, we show up, we're in your house. Everything imaginable can go wrong with this situation. That's why we are trained in trying to de-escalate these situations and bring them down so that emotions aren't as high. However, what a lot of people don't understand is once we're on scene, we're going to do our job as well. And so there's been plenty of times where we've been in a domestic and one or the other partner who actually called us is like, you know what, everything's okay. You guys can go. Can you just go? Can you get out of here? Uh, and that's just not the case because now we have to investigate. And you, you can't just turn it, turn us off once we've arrived. And a lot of times people do have that like fear and worry, but it's their first instinct to call us was the right instinct. Whether they're second guessing them, themselves after we've arrived, there was a reason why they called us. And it wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to call the police on you. It was something scared them so much that they needed to call 911. Yeah, it was, it's usually serious. It's something that they normally wouldn't call the police for. And once you, if you get to that point, if you're that scared or something violent, that violence has happened the way you're, you're meeting the police, you're right there. That's, that's the right call. So whether you call on an admin line or 911, they're not just going to go away. You have an obligation to make sure that the victim's okay, that the situation is calm. You can't just leave and take the baby to the That's just not going to happen. Right. And I think a lot of it is is when people are experiencing a domestic situation, they also know that once the police are involved, it's kind of like no going back in there. In, in where they are in their marriage or their relationship. They know that there's going to be some kind of drastic change. And nobody likes change. Nobody nobody wants it. So there is there's gonna always be that gut check where people don't want to continue on that. It's hard once you get the government involved in your life, that, that scariness of unknown not knowing what's gonna happen next with the call. Is always scary, which is why we have victim advocates, which is why we have an adult mental health clinician, why we have a senior advocate. It's why we have these services available that a lot of people don't know about, and we're going to get to today and, and kind of wrap it up for people to know what we have available to help them through this process. Right. And so, once again, so once we, once officers get on scene and let's say the scene is stabilized where both parties are separated and each officer is usually out with, with one of the individuals and they're getting the story. And a lot of times after the officers discuss the two interviews, they might have an idea of, of who is the victim and who is the aggressor in this situation. Um, other things we look for are, of course, injuries the condition of the home, whether there's alcohol or drugs involved. Uh, and there, there could be witnesses. They're, 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 unfortunately, quite often there are children in the house. Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll be interviewed as well to decide what took place. And that'll be just another factor added onto our investigation. Right. 
and we talked to, like you said, witnesses. Sometimes neighbors are the ones who end up calling us because they hear somebody in danger or calling for help or um, violence in their neighbors. So we'll talk to them and find out what they heard. It's it's really a totality of the circumstances. It's not one thing that's going to determine whether or not violence has occurred and whether or not we're going to make an arrest. And also these situations, they tend to escalate. So I'll give you an example because you just brought up uh, a great point that it's not often, it, it's, it's a lot of times it's not the person involved who calls that it's a neighbor or someone else. I had a call once, a couple were downtown and one of them struck the other one in the eye and then proceeded to leave them there and drive home. Well, the person who was left behind took an Uber home and told the Uber driver everything that happened. And it was the Uber driver who called us. So we ended up going to their house to investigate. And in the time it took between the Uber driver calling and us arriving, a second domestic incident had occurred where the person who had been struck in the eye struck the spouse at home in front of their child. So where we had one incident, it suddenly became two separate domestic violence situations. And unfortunately, in this situation, both ended up going to jail. And DSS ended up getting called to take the child. And that's certainly an example of an arrest, but we go to these calls very often, and not every situation does result in an arrest. So we're there to make sure everybody's safe and provide any resources. But we have things in place at the police department. And we have Lindsay and Ruth here. If you guys want to introduce yourself and kind of jump in and start telling us what resources we have for people. Sure. So I'm Lindsay Schwenk. I'm the embedded mental health clinician here within the department. So oftentimes after these situations, um, I'm, I'm able to offer some free counseling services to individuals and just get them connected to other things here in the community that might be able to help. Um, and I work hand in hand very closely with Ruth. Hey, I'm Ruth Coco. I'm the victim advocate, one of them, um, here at the police department. And just a, a little brief synopsis on what we do. We go through reports every morning. So if we have domestics, whether there's an arrest or not, we reach out to that. Uh, victim um, to see what we can do to assist in any way. Um, if there is an arrest, we can also help with the court process. But I think um, it's great that we have Lindsay because in the past, a lot of times um, victims of domestic violence just really need someone to talk to. And I think I wanted to touch a little bit talking about this is that not only is there physical abuse, but there's a lot of mental abuse that occurs, verbal abuse, and a lot of times people don't think that is financial, financial abuse. Financial, as well. correct, mm -hmm. Bill. Um, but they don't think that's a form of domestic violence, but it really is. And, and um, Lindsay and myself and, and other advocates have heard many people say that, you know, at least with the bruise, it heals that when someone says something to you, it sticks with you, you know, it's in your head, you hear it over and over again. And I think that's a 
could place to add Lindsay in because Lindsay can talk to them and have sessions with them to help them deal with what they're dealing with. It's, it's been very helpful for us on the road too in those situations where there isn't any testimony, but we have a resource. So what I tell people all the time is that you guys are not police officers, right. you're not investigating crimes. Right. You're, you're there to or offer the that. civilian side of it. And I think that's important for people because I know yes. that it could be intimidating to call the police to have the police in your house. We're in, in a certain mindset when we go to these type of calls. So it's, it's nice that we have right. a good and resource. I, and I know in, in past calls, I have received phone calls from officers and I've responded out on scenes where it's as simple as the person doesn't want photos taken of the injury. And, and Kind of, if you talk to them and say, "Look, this is you know, we want you safe, and we want you protected," um, you know, sometimes that helps if it's somebody who's not law enforcement. Um, and I think when people go through domestic situations, they're at a, a very low point, and the despair—the right. despair—is high, right? And they don't think that there's options for themselves, right? So right. It, it's great that you guys can come in and let them know there's plenty of options, right? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things in working with quite a few different victims who have been through domestic violence situations, um, there tends to be a lot of guilt that goes along with those. Yep. Um, a lot of guilt for all the times maybe that they didn't call. Then there's guilt for when they do call and if the individual's arrested. There's guilt after the fact of if they're going into court. Um right. And, and also guilt for if there are children involved, you know, some of the times these things lead to some different changes in their life. You know, maybe Absolutely. they're having to go stay with other family members, kids are switching schools. You know, there's all different different layers of things that, that go into these situations. And um, that can sometimes be difficult to really navigate. So definitely on my side talking with them, working through therapy with them. There's a lot of different therapy techniques that I'll use with people um, just to get them to a healthier um, a healthier place mentally. Um, and sometimes that's even just sitting down one time. Right. Um, sometimes it's meeting for a few months to talk about the things that are going on. Um, one thing that I, I do think it's important um, as well as navigating the legal piece that goes along with this. Because it's one thing to get people to a healthy mental state where they can really think about what's going on, um, perhaps get in healthier um, relationships or situations in the future. But navigating the legal piece right. is a beast in and of itself that can be so challenging. Absolutely. And it can just seem so overwhelming to people that that, you know, can stop them from taking any action at all. Right. Well, that often comes sometime down the road. So if we're there, we get involved in an arrest, and then you're there to help right. follow up. But mm -hmm. the court case, depending on the level of the charge, might not be until sometime later. So right, right. I could see that being a pretty intimidating process. Yeah, that, and even even if there is an arrest the next day with bond court, um, you know how to navigate that piece. That's one of the right. things that that our advocates they. They go to bond court with our victims and that's one thing that I was going to ask about is what are some of the processes that you walk through what, what do you walk them through well we can thing? we talk like when right, like, it, like we're talking about bond court some people don't know what bond right. court is so bond once court. once like pd once the police make an arrest right that person gets brought to jail then what goes on 
then they have a bond hearing. Right. Um, and usually the next morning. Usually the next morning. It depends on when they're arrested, but usually the next, well, I think we do often report. But, um, you know, we will reach out um, to the victim. Um, sometimes the victim is able to attend, sometimes they're not. If they're not able to attend, we can go in place of them uh, and represent them. Um, one of the big things we try to ask for is a no contact order, which kind of gives them a safety net. Um, to decide if they want to move on to try and do an order of protection, which we'll touch on that in a minute. Um, but it's really, it's a say, it gives them a little bit of time to get things put in place. Um, and we, Lindsay and myself and the other advocates work, we can, we can help set up a safety plan. Um, and we've done that with people before there's an arrest made. If they're just, you know, trying to figure out where to go and how to navigate leaving the person, we can kind of meet and talk about we need to get some safety things put in place um, for the situation. But uh, we definitely do bond court for them. Um, once that's done, we can assist if they'd like to get order of protection. I think what you just spoke about, about having a safety plan and, and, and preparing for right. this ahead of time right. is a huge piece of information for anyone who's listening and might be going through uh, difficulties in their domestic. Right. Like just to know, like, hey, there's there's options other than googling help with domestic violence right. out there. There's actually people who you can reach to and give you like firsthand examples of of, of situations where they've dealt with similar. Right. And that there's help. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. No, yeah. please. <laughs> well, and and most of the time when we're talking about safety plans, we're looking at you know it, it's it's having. Here is my step-by-step on paper. This is a person I can call if if I'm in a situation where I need help. Um, For example, we've done a safety plan recently where the challenge was, you know, being able to call 911 in and of itself um, because they knew that that would make the person very angry. But, hey, call one of us, and if we get a call from you, then we'll know you need immediate help. Right. So then we can get someone out right. there. And then it's not you calling. Right. It's just an anonymous person, like we're talking about with the Uber driver. Right. You know, it's an anonymous person right. calling saying, I think that this person needs help. Right. And, and we can send officers out to help with that piece. So, and that would be 843-884-4176 asked to speak to either uh, our victim's advocate or our embedded mental health clinician. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but let's back to what you were saying. So, I mean, we walk them through that process. Um, sometimes it's a general sessions charge, but we still stay um, in touch with that victim. Um, general sessions court has their own victim advocates, but we like to stay on board with our people because, you know, we were there from the beginning and we want to follow through and make sure everything's good and safe and healthy. So, uh, you know, we help them with that process. Um, we had mentioned a little bit about an order of protection. A lot of people, um, when officers do respond on the scene, there's a form that, that they let um, the party fill out, the victim. Um, and that's, um, a lot of times, they think that's the order of protection. Yeah, and I was going to hit on the same thing. It's, we, it's a resource list that we give Correct. to people have that information, but a lot of times we will respond to a call another day and say, well, have an order of protection. It's here, and it's unfortunately not. It's good information that we can pass out, but who 
order of protection, is that different than a no contact order? It is different. The no contact is what is put in place um, with the bond court judge. Um, and that stays in place until you actually have that court date. Um, order of protection is where um, you go to family court. Uh, we have paperwork so we can assist the victims with filling that out. Um, where Where is family court? Family court is uh, downtown. I believe it's, and I'm not 100% correct, uh, I believe it's Broad Street. I think it's 100 Broad Street. Um, family court and... Um, you give them the paperwork, and once they get the paperwork, they will call the person. Um, if it's an emergency hearing, which if, if it's serious enough and, and they're really in fear, a judge can look at it and decide if they want to make it an emergency hearing, which normally they, they get a call that day, and the hearing is normally within 24 hours. Um, at that hearing, the I guess I, I can say suspect, suspect in the case, or alleged suspect, is has to be served to okay. appear at that hearing, um, which a lot of times we tell our, our victims, um, you know, and we will go to that hearing with them. When you go to that hearing, the judge is going to ask you questions. They're going to ask the alleged suspect questions, and then the judge decides if they want to move forward and grant the order of protection. And that is usually good for about a year. But I always like to say, if someone has counsel, so if, if, if the alleged victim has an attorney, we always try and ask for a continuance. Um, alleged suspect has an attorney. We ask for a continuance for the victim to get counsel because obviously we don't want our victim to go against just an attorney. Right. And if that made sense. I don't know if I confused you a little bit there. That was not my intention. No, so. <laughs> I'm glad that we have some clarification because it's tough to get the order of things. So a no contact order comes and then the order of protection is something that someone has to do as a next step. So it carries Correct. a little bit more weight. Right. Than... Correct, it does. Um, I believe if one is granted, and you guys maybe can touch better being law enforcement, but I think if they get granted, they're not allowed to possess a firearm. Um, is one of the things which sometimes that you know that's a, a good safety net for mm -hmm. someone if, if if you know guns are involved Absolutely. in the situation, which we know they have been in past cases. So um, mm -hmm. that's yeah, we can help with order protection. Order protection. Um, there are three criteria. I don't think I touched on that, which is you have to be married, or had a child in common, or cohabitated at one time. What do you so, mean by cohabitating? If you live together. Gotcha. Um, so that would fall under order of protection, whereas a restraining order is kind of, a lot of people think restraining order is the same thing. That's through our magistrate court. And that's if, um, it's really if your boyfriend or girlfriend didn't have to live together or anything, just dated, or a lot of times it's with neighbors too, if there's issues going on, not so much domestic. So it sounds like with, they hold a similar weight, but it could be confusing based on if you live with someone, if you're dating. Correct. It seems like it's good to reach out to our local advocates, you guys, or wherever you are. Absolutely. To get some clarification. Right, right. On, and I think we, and, and Lindsay can probably, uh, I think Lindsay and I worked on this one, where uh, the case was, the guy was, had stayed at her apartment, but he wasn't living there. So when they said, did you live together? She's like, no. 
Is that not kind of how it was, yeah. right, Lindsay? Mm-hmm. So it was a little confusing for the officer because she's like, no, we don't live together. But he had stayed there. Right. Yeah. So we've also had that confusion as well in a situation where um, both there was a boyfriend girlfriend situation, and one of they both had their own apartments. Um, but I, I believe they were trying to break up or something, yeah. and um, you know they went to their separate homes, and then in this case it was the boyfriend, but he came over to her apartment, um, and an incident occurred. And then, you know, she was asked, well, does he live here? Um, and she said no. But but whenever we talked with her after the fact, right. we learned that she actually stayed at his house the majority of the time. She had her own separate individual apartment where some of her belongings were, but she stayed at his apartment right. probably six, six right. nights out of the week. So in, in you know, reality, paper, they were in reality, they were right. living together. Right. But so sometimes that's one of the things, too that can make things confusing because that can turn from one charge to another. Right. Um, that can, can flip things and it can make it to where the next steps, just like Ruth is talking about, where if we're looking in the order of protection or a restraining order, that can that's a difference. So we want to make sure that people get connected with exactly what they need and it fits their situation best. Now, on the note of residency and, and where people are saying I know South Carolina I'm not going to get up on my uh, <laughs> my high horse or whatever and talk about the antiquated divorce laws that require <laughs> couples to be separated for a year before they can be divorced right. uh, but if someone does want to leave that situation a lot of times they financially cannot right? because they can't afford to get their like spouse is paying the mortgage or the rent right they they have no money of their own what can a person do in that situation well and that plays into where you mentioned earlier the financial abuse because um, usually they controlled um, Ruth for that many times we, we even have had um, victims who work full-time jobs but just hand over their paycheck um, and he controls it all or she controls it all because we have male and female victims so if I say she um, forgive me for that because we do have male victims also in the incidents. But it's good that you brought, brought that up because it, we have seen both sides. Absolutely. Domestics, male, female. Correct. And and it's, there may be more than one than the other, but right. it, everything has to be determined equally. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But on the financial side, um, a lot of times we get with them, and that's where kind of that safety plan comes into place, I think, because we can kind of sit down and go over some some resources we have to offer. We have we have a couple of local ones. Our, our women's shelter is my sister's house. Um, and I think you can find information about them on our website, especially this month for domestic violence awareness. Um, and, and they're a woman's shelter for domestic violence. And there there's also um, Liza's Lifeline that can also try and help in situations like that. Normally, uh, for Liza's Lifeline, uh, an advocate will reach out to them. So we're kind of the go between for uh, a victim in the situation to try and get. And sometimes that can be right. assisting with relocating to a different area. And normally the first things I think we try and say is, do you have family? What kind of support do you have? Do you have family you can count on? A lot of times 
they've been isolated from family. They've been isolated from friends, and that's all because part of, of that. the spouse, right? Correct. Or the partner, right? Right. And and that makes it hard because a lot of people are like, I have no one, mm-hmm. and you know they'll come to us, and, and we got to try and put things in place to help them. And I think a lot of times they think they have no one, but right. I think that they, they have a support system of a family that have been waiting, correct, for them to get away, right, for You're, a long that time, is and those correct. arms are are going to get wide open. You're right. Right, and that is true because usually, in a case like this, they're isolated from the family. The right. family's like, you know, I'm sure the family sees it on the outside. Why don't you, you know, just, right. the situation is not good. You need to leave it. But you know, until you're living that situation, you really don't understand it. And and you're right. There is family that has been shut out because of it. But now that door can be open to where that person has been waiting. Like you said, to to assist, it's it's never too late to reach back out for help. Right. Um, like Luke was just saying, we oftentimes do see that people are isolated. Um, it, you know, sometimes um, it, it starts as the individual seems as if they just really care about you and they just want to spend all their time with you and all encompassing. Um, and it's very easy um, to get pulled into those types of things. Um, there are so many people that we've talked with that are, are strong, intelligent, um, people who have so much going for them in life. And the reason why, um, they get pulled into the situation isn't necessarily something that's wrong with them. It's, it's the perpetrator of the domestic violence. Um, Ruth likes to refer to them as the salesman, um, or the salesperson, salesperson, um, but they're in these situations because they've learned, usually um, because they've grown up in a situation themselves, right. more more times than not, they grew up in a house with domestic violence, but they've learned that these are the patterns of behavior. This is what relationships look like. Right. And so it's very easy for them to pull people in. The manipulation and kind of the, the mind games, so to speak, that come into play with domestic violence um, can be so strong that even... Yeah, like I said, even the strongest, strongest smartest work. individuals Person. can be pulled, pulled into Correct. those. Correct. Um, and like so their family members especially right. are kind of there waiting, you know. Right. And and that's a big a big part about some of the things that we do with individuals. Yes, it's getting them reconnected with family, but getting them reconnected with who they are right. as a person. Right. Um, I hear quite often with the individuals I work with that I just... I kind of lost myself. Um, I just had to do what I needed to do to keep the peace every day, walking on eggshells. And and that's what my life became about. Just how could I keep the peace? Well, sometimes that fear plays into why people don't fall. They don't know what to do. If they get out of that situation, they're not sure how to sort of handle the world after they've been in this small, isolated little world for so long. Do you think that fear plays into it? Absolutely. I think the fear of retribution in and of itself, because like we're talking about some of these calls that officers are going out on, you know, if there isn't necessarily an arrest um, and maybe they don't have somewhere that they can go that evening that's safe, you know, what's going to happen when they all leave? Right. right. And so that fear in and of itself of, of again, that, that retribution piece is, is pretty strong. 
but also the system in and of itself, it can be challenging. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about courts, we're talking about all these different options. There's all this different paperwork and you have to go to this, to the right court and um, show up on these certain dates. And what if you have to work? It's very intimidating. intimidating. Well, and and on a police note on that, it's like, so if we respond to a domestic uh, and let's say it's a female victim, here they are dealing with a, a big policeman, right? Perhaps, uh, and maybe maybe that's astoundingly intimidating yeah. as well. Yeah. So, and and in some situations that might be the case where someone's not responding to me if 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 they're not engaging with me and talking to me is like sometimes we'll say, "Hey, do you want to speak to a female officer?" Yeah. And that could be a, a complete like difference maker. Right. In, in that, like, yes, that's exactly what that person needs. And mm-hmm. on the flip side, if the if the male half is the abused, mm-hmm. there's a huge chance they don't want to speak to us because it takes away any any of, of their masculinity. Right, mm-hmm. and that's the big thing with right. the male victim. Right, because who wants to say I'm a victim of domestic violence and I'm a man? Right, you know, I'm a, I'm a man. Right. So I mean, it's I think we're moving past that point in our in our culture to where we're worried about right. that stuff. Right. Um, it's not that that masculinity Hopefully. we're worried about. Hopefully. I'm hoping we can move past that. And that our officers are trained. To right. Know. Absolutely. Right. We know we're going to treat any victim with the same compassion. Correct. Right. Male, female, it doesn't matter. Right. We're there to help. Right. Our concern is the victim. It doesn't right. matter what it is. And then that's why it's great to have you guys here because you can then walk them through. Right. And that they don't have to be scared. They don't have to feel alone because right. we have before you, right. right. So, yeah, I definitely say it's not a one size fits all. No call is the same. No, no situation is the same. So I've had it every different which way. So we we take them slowly, investigate, and make sure everybody's safe. And I think one of the big things here that I would like to hit on is that we're here to help anyone that needs help. If you're not ready to take that step to walk away, you can still reach out to us. And we're going to do what we can if it's just nothing but talking to you. Um, you know, we want to be there to help you. And we want this not to be the secret. Right. Domestic violence is such a secret. I mean, I think it's come out a lot lately in the last few years with football players and I think and all. But it's, I mean, it happens, to, it can happen to anyone, you know. And you never know what's going on behind closed doors, you know. And we want people to know that we're here. And, and even if the police aren't called, you can still reach out to us. And we're going to do what we can to walk you through whatever you're dealing with. You know, if it's if it's you're in the situation and you don't want to leave, but you want to talk, then we can, we can talk to you about that. And we can help you through that. I mean, we want them to know that we're here in any way to try and get you through what you're going through. But And you're not alone. You know, and, and we're not here to judge anyone. Um, Monica and, and we have a little group we do, and she always says we're we're no 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 judgment zone here. We don't judge anyone. We're here just to listen and try and help you and get you to a safe, healthy place. And on the police department side too, that's kind of the extreme when we come, but we're available too. Police departments twenty four seven, so right. uh, we have officers that are working, and you can ask for someone to just call you. Yes, that's not how you call an emergency situation, but we're here to help. And if we can't help you, we can refer you to 
to our advocates or another advocate in another jurisdiction. But I think the most important thing is to the police department and officers. We don't have any judgment either. We're right. here to help. Absolutely. Nobody, it, we all sign up to, to help people Serve and, and, and make a difference. Right. So that doesn't stop right. in any capacity. So and, and with that, Don, I remember um, one of our officers a few years back, um, he, was, he had pulled someone over and she had had an expired tag and she was very emotional. And he started talking to her and he said, I want you to reach out to our victim advocates. Because he knew something else was going on there, which it was. Mm-hmm. It was domestic and controlled. The tag was expired. It had not been renewed. And um, he said, you do that and, you, you know, you pay get, get the tag current and I'll, and I'll work with you and you go to court, but reach out to them. And she did. And she reached out to us. And there was a domestic situation going on and there was controlled. And, you know, I have to, hats off to him because he just knew there was something else. You know, we... You never know. Like you said, you don't know what your situation is going to be when you're, you know, whether it's pulling someone over or responding to a call. You don't know. But if you just, you know, I mean, he listened with his head and his heart and knew there was something more going on than just a ticket there. You know, that somebody needed some help with something else that was going on. So that's one of my favorite stories, I think. That is a good one. And that's, I feel the same way. I think we all do. So if we can do something to help. Right. That's, that's what we're here for. Yep. Is there anything that we haven't touched on yet that you guys wanted to make sure to point out? I think it's important for everybody to know as well that this this isn't necessarily just something that's here in Mount Pleasant. I know that y'all are listening right. to it on uh, the Mount Pleasant PD, like our podcast, but this is not something that's uh, unique necessarily to here. I mean, there are victims advocates in all of the other um, Tri County area and countrywide, uh, and yeah, yeah. I mean, there yeah. there are advocates that are in the majority of law enforcement right. um, departments, um, and I can speak to at least here in the Tri County area. So for Charleston, Dorchester, and Berkeley County, there was a mental health clinician embedded in every single one of the departments. That's um, the sheriffs um, and with the PDs. So. We're all here and available to you or someone you know. You know, it, it doesn't have to be that we get called out to a house for someone to reach out to us. Sometimes we get calls about, right. I have a friend who's in this situation right. and I want to know how I can help them because maybe the friend is, is too scared to call themselves. Right. So we always say commit to. Oh, yeah. License Lifeline a few years back had a slogan that was commit to three. So to talk to three people every day or whenever, three people about domestic violence so they're aware of it and can help other people um, that are dealing with it. I think awareness is important, too, from uh, an educational standpoint. So for the Mount Pleasant Police Department in October, we are donating money to Lice Lifeline for officers to wear purple T-shirts, and we wear our purple domestic violence awareness pins, and I think that helps spark that conversation. And if you've passed by Town Hall uh, recently, we have the whole courthouse lit up purple for domestic violence awareness for the month of October. Yeah, and we're asking all residents, whether Mount Pleasant or not Mount Pleasant, if you'd like to put a, a purple light on, change your bulb to purple on your porch, that would show support for domestic violence, and we'd appreciate it because we're working on lighting up the town and maybe the whole state. Who knows? Yeah.
<laughs> I like the uh, commit to three people. I hadn't heard that one. Yeah. So I'm going to take that. I like it too. Thank you for listening to the MPPD podcast. 